Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. I want to give a big, big thank you to everyone, those who support this podcast, whether that is through sharing it, praying financially, giving, um, and then also those who support uh, or have supported Last Stand Studios and the documentary we did with Paint the Wall Black and or just in general giving to Last Stand Studios. You have done a lot to help move the needle in ways you, you just don't even know that you've done. And I just want to say how much I appreciate it. This last weekend would not have been possible without uh, your generosity and um, your support. And uh, the glory, of course, all goes to God. But um, I'm just going to give a little report on, on what's taken place this past weekend uh, before we talk a little bit about apostasy. So we have, we have a very positive thing and then something that is kind of negative but necessary to talk about. So um, start with the positive uh, thing. Uh, this weekend was amazing. Juan Riesco came to Liberty University and was hosted by the Life, Liberty, Pursuit of Truth Club. They're the ones that ended up sponsoring uh, the Paint the Wall Black uh, documentary, as well as um, a panel discussion with Juan Riesco afterward. Uh, but the Freedom Center uh, there on campus was very generous. I didn't know that they were going to help out at all, but uh, they ended up helping out quite a bit. And um, in this picture, if you're watching, you can see these two pictures here uh, are in the front uh, of the Freedom Center uh, offices at Liberty University. They have a little sort of mini portable studio set up there. And this is when, you know, a few minutes after, like two minutes, literally after Juan came in and uh, arrived from the airport. Uh, fun fact here, Juan actually, coming from Dallas, Texas, uh, his plane actually got struck by lightning twice on the way. And he called me, um, or texted me, I guess. I forget. I think he called me. And he said, hey, John, um, I'm still in Dallas. The plane had to turn around after half an hour because we were struck by lightning twice. And he even said he saw, like, I don't know how that works, but lightning going through the cabin. It was just crazy. Uh, but it was, it was kind of on a humorous note. He's a very funny guy. He said, uh, he's like, I thought, man, I got to stop reading Revelation. <laughs> so um, quite quite a jolting experience if you don't fly much, especially. I, and I, I have fl flown quite a bit. I've never been hit by lightning in a plane. But uh, Juan had to take a later flight, so he did get there. And so I actually, I picked him up directly from the airport and we headed straight to Liberty, and uh, literally, you know, 30 seconds into walking in, you know, the the folks that were hosting us for dinner that night gave him a, a, a you know round of applause. Um, I think they had heard about his story, but most of them had not seen the documentary, and they had a little potluck for him, and we talked about kind of what the schedule was going to be over the next few days or the next day, and uh, and it was just so encouraging for him, and so it, it just accomplished so many things. Encouraged the students, encouraged Juan, encouraged uh, encouraged me, encouraged um, I think the Freedom Center. And there's been some connections made. Uh, I, I think there the Freedom Center was even talking about maybe having Juan come back up and do some some work with them for some things. So I mean, you know, it's just great what happened. Um, this is uh, a picture of the next day. Uh, Juan is sitting down with Ryan, who is the director of the Freedom Center. And they're, uh, I don't think this is out yet, uh, hopefully this week. I don't know when they'll put it out. They're doing a little podcast interview there. I wasn't expecting that, but um, Freedom Center wanted to do it, and it turned out really, really well. Uh, you have a picture here of the, the Friday night before uh, the event, and, and this is the life, mostly the Life, Liberty, Pursuit of Truth Club, who hosted Juan. You can see he's having a good time there. And, um, and then, of course, we had the event, 
and uh, and Liberty University had some um, requirements. You had to you had you had limited seating, and seats had to be six or were supposed to at least be six feet apart. So um, I think they capped it at like 78 people. Uh, and, and you can see from, um, that's not the entire room. There were some people, I think, even behind the tables. But you can see it was, it was about that many. I think um, I, I, there might have been a few people who didn't show up. But I think the tickets, the, the cap, I think, was hit, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, we had a bunch of students come out. So it was really good. They watched Paint the Wall Black. And, um, and then uh, we did the, a panel discussion. So that's a picture for those watching on the left hand there. Uh, you can see there's Juan, there's myself, there's Ryan, and there's uh, members of the Life, Liberty, Pursuit of Truth Club who uh, were just so instrumental um, and helpful. And I just, you know, couldn't believe uh, how helpful they were and motivated. And uh, so really, really good weekend. Um, we had a panel discussion, which I don't have a picture of. I probably should have got one uh, with Juan and myself and, and Ryan and uh, a representative from the... Um, uh, Life, Liberty, Pursuit of Truth Club. If you're on Liberty University campus, I got to say, or if you know someone who is, you got to check out the Life, Liberty, Pursuit of Truth Club. You can go to the student organizations page and you can find them. And they're they're solid. They're great. Uh, really, really enjoyed them. And so uh, that was the weekend. And Juan uh, loved, he's <laughs> from Chicago, but he was saying how much he loved the South. I took him out for um, some barbecue. We got some good, authentic Southern barbecue. And, uh, and now he's in Dallas now, though, so I'm sure he can get some good barbecue if he wants um, now. But, uh, but we took him out for that, and uh, we didn't have a lot of time, but we were able to, to take him to his first um, experience at a Waffle House, right? And, and every Southerner knows that's, you know, that's a, you know, from the time you're young, you go to Waffle House, but Juan had never been to Waffle House, so we took him to Waffle House and uh, had a good time. So I uh, just wanted to let you all know thank you. Uh, for making it possible for him to come, and um, and one particular um, individual who just agreed to to uh, pay for Juan to fly up and fly back down, and that was just incredible. So thank you to everyone. Um, I want to talk a little bit today. Uh, oh, before I get to that, uh, one last thing I forgot. I'm I'm one of the worst people sometimes at plugging stuff. Um, I've realized this. And uh, I've been told this, but uh, but I'm going to plug something a little bit. Here's here's some pictures from um, last week, uh, just some pictures from New York City. And I, I had asked actually on YouTube, I think, uh, I said, where do you think this is, this picture of this studio? And one person got it. And it is, and they were right. Most of the other people thought it was, I think the biggest one was Glenn Beck. They thought it was that this was in Glenn Beck studio or something. It's not. This is Eric Metaxas, actually. Eric Metaxas's uh, studio. And um, for the next documentary, which you can go to the link in the info section and find out more about, called American Monument, um, Eric Metaxas was one of the individuals interviewed. And uh, the team, I was not there, but the team went to his office uh, or his studio and did the, the filming right there. So thankful. Uh, thank you for, for um, helping us be able to do that. And thank you to Eric Metaxas for giving us his time. And of course, you don't go to New York City without going to a hot dog stand, uh, which I guess you can still do, which is great. So um, film crew took a picture of, I'm assuming, a hot dog stand they ate at. And uh, so um, anyway, um, that that took place. And uh, if you want to contribute to our efforts at um, creating another documentary on the monument situation uh, and this uh, rush to cancel 
figures of the past, whether they be soldiers or explorers or presidents in some cases, uh, then you can donate uh, at the link in the info section uh, on the Give, Send, Go. I think we, or you can just give to Last Stand Studios. Those, those are two ways. I'll put links for both in the info section if you're interested in that and if you enjoyed Paint the Wall Black. So um, the topic though for today, um, hopefully a little bit of a shorter episode here. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about apostasy and it is a very serious topic. Uh, there's some verses, and there could have been a lot more, but I put a few of them here. One of the reasons I wanted to make this was, I, I, I understood, I, the video I did about Paul Maxwell got more views than I was expecting, which is great and fine and good. Um, and there were some people though, and it wasn't many, though most of the response was overwhelmingly very supportive of my thoughts. I'm very sad, uh, saddened by what happened with Paul Maxwell. For those who don't know, who haven't heard, uh, he wrote for the Desiring God and the Gospel Coalition and um, was involved in a number of evangelical institutions and just said he wasn't a Christian one day on, uh, at least that's how, that that's what it looked like to those who did not know him personally. Since that time, a number of people have reached out to me who have known him on a more personal level, and the consensus seems to be that they were not surprised that this happened, which did not surprise me um, a whole lot, but it is shocking. I'm sure the same thing would have happened with Josh Harris. Those who were really close to him probably would have said, yeah, we weren't surprised that he was going this direction. And um, and of course, this uh, within the last two weeks, I know Abraham Piper, John Piper's, one of John Piper's sons, has also, um, he has almost a million followers, last I checked, on Instagram, and he was, there, there was some talk about him in social media. Um, and I think there were actually some news, news stories written about him essentially mocking Christianity. Uh, and it, it, I'm sure it's a grievous thing for his parents and for those who knew him uh, when he uh, professed faith. But um, this is something that I think I said in the Paul Maxwell video. I know I said it actually. I said, you know, get used to this in some way. Like this, this is going to be, I think, more and more common. You're going to see this. And if you, you know, you can't think of people in your own personal life or personal circles that didn't have a platform but did this, then um, you're going to see that at, at some point. I, I know people in my own circles, and it's devastating. It's heartbreaking. It's, um, it's, a, it's a, just a hard thing. And on, on so many level, levels, emotional level, spiritual level. And uh, so I want to talk about how serious this is because I, I got a little bit of pushback, just a little bit uh, from some people um, that I heard were not happy that I had made this video about Paul Maxwell and thought I didn't really know what I was talking about because I'm I don't know Paul Maxwell personally and I don't and um, and one thing I did say by the way and I, I did I said that I did not know a hundred percent I said you know I I w wonder whether he's single I think I said something like I think he's single but I'm not sure. Uh, he is married, so I wanted to correct. That was the one thing I did say that uh, was not quite accurate. But in general, what my analysis of the situation, um, I, I pretty much had confirmed from other people that uh, this was a man who was steeped in evangelical institutions and churches, and uh, he lived in these these institutions and churches undergoing, and one of the things I said was because his dissertation was on um, uh, trauma that I said, usually people who write on that kind of thing probably have trauma of their own. And, and sure enough, he has, there, there's some issues that he has in his own life that, um, he's wanting to get answers for and overcome and explain. And, 
Uh, and this was, it sounds like somewhat of an attempt at that. And, um, and there's, and I think I had also said that someone who's not a Christian that, but is trying to live the Christian life, it's a burden. And once people say how joyful they are sometimes or how great they feel when they finally announce they're not a Christian, well, it's because they don't have to live a lie anymore. They, they can live the way they want. They can be them, their sinful selves. And um, I think that that's an accurate portrayal. Uh, and it doesn't just go for Paul Maxwell. That's just something I just know in general when people make these kinds of declarations and say they're happier or something. Are they really happier? Really? You know, that's, um, it's so, just so joy-filled not to be a Christian. I, no, I don't think that's it. That's it. And, and for every one of those, you can, you know, obviously show tons of examples of people coming out of the world, becoming Christians, showing, exuding true joy for uh, the, the freedom that they found in Christ, freedom from sin. And so, I think that that is the explanation for that. And that's and I wanted to help people understand that. I wanted to give encourage people who um, were affected by Paul Maxwell. I have since found out I, I was correct about that. I was sad about what happened, but I've I found out since then there are some people who are are devastated about this. Former roommates of his, uh, people that um, knew him uh, from his internet presence before and thought he was a good Christian and now they're just they're devastated. How could this man who they looked up to or trusted on some level not be a Christian and say that he's so happy about it? So I wanted to read for you these verses and they're very serious verses and then show you if it just um, two other things and, and give a little bit of a warning here. I think this is perfectly appropriate uh, to talk about and I and I want to talk about talking about it. I want to um, defend essentially um, the ability of someone like myself, but more importantly, a pastor to by name talk about someone like a Paul Maxwell. So we'll start with just a few verses on apostasy. First John two eighteen through nineteen says, "Children, it is the last hour, and just as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have appeared. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us." For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their departure made it clear that none of them belonged to us. And this is about false teachers. And John is saying that they were never part of you. They, 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 um, I think of what Paul had said in Galatians about the pseudodelphos, meaning the false Christians, the false brothers who came in to try to uh, spy out the liberty of believers to then sell a false gospel to them. And John is saying that those who are false teachers, you know, they're coming in and they never really belong to you. Uh, and they would have remained with you if they had. That's the proof. The fact that they left you means they're, they're not. And um, I think that would, would describe someone like a Paul Maxwell. Uh, I mean, this is a man who, like I said, in the heart of evangelical Christianity, writing for Gospel Coalition, desiring God, and then coming out and saying, as an apostate, 2 Peter 2.20 says this, For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and the Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. And in the context of this chapter, um, Peter compares these false teachers to Balaam, and Balaam was not a saved individual. Uh, Balaam was someone, though, who, who did have an experience with the Lord on a certain level, but it wasn't a saving experience. And that, that's, I, mean, I think that that would be probably an apt description, perhaps. It's a possibility that that is what someone like a Paul Maxwell had. 
an association and maybe some kind of an experience. Maybe even the Holy Spirit was involved in some way uh, in pricking his heart, but it was not a saving experience. It, it did not. It was not a fully trusting in Christ. Um, Hebrews six talks about the same thing. It says, "If for in the case of those who have been once enlightened." and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. And you say, John, well, isn't that a Christian? Well, if you read, if you continue reading in Hebrews 6, um, it says, and if, if I was about to say Paul, we don't know... <laughs> If you think Paul's the author, uh, but the writer of Hebrews, whoever it is, says, but brothers, we, exp we know of better things concerning you, things that accompany salvation. And it's a contrast. Those in Hebrews 6, 4 through 5, uh, did not have things that accompanied salvation as the brothers, as, as the true Christians did. There's a, there's a contrast going on in the text. So again, these are people who have, like, this is pretty serious stuff. They tasted of the heavenly gift. They were made partakers of the Holy Spirit. And they're there, and the Holy, what does the Holy Spirit do? Convicts the world of sin, righteousness, judgment. There's a, there was a conviction. There was something there. They tasted the word of God, and they, they rejected it. They fell away. And I, I'll tell you firsthand, when I, when I read this, I'm thinking of people I know personally. People that, one, one in particular, someone I knew years ago who read the Bible all the time. Um, when he first got saved, uh, you know, one, I asked him, I said, what'd you do on Saturday? Read the Bible and listened to sermons all day, you know, got up, went to bed and that's all I did. And I was like, wow, you know, I thought this guy is so godly. And I remember I was there for his baptism and within a month or so, he's getting into false teaching, serious false teaching, questioning, uh, the reliability of the scripture, questioning doctrines like original sin. And I was, I, I was shocked, and, and eventually he just stopped coming to church. And, um, and now, you know, living, living a life that is not Christian in the least, thinking that he's, you know, so, I, I don't really know what he thinks at this point, but um, thinking he's in the right at the very least. And I, I think of this verse, and, and I, am I the one to say, because I don't, I don't know, when someone hits this point, but I, am I the one that's to say Paul Maxwell or someone like that has hit this point? Abraham Piper has hit this point. No, I don't know. And my, my encouragement is, obviously, if they repent and turn to Christ, then it's, it's proof they have not hit this point. But there is a point at which it says it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. That they, they you know, I, you think of almost the, the unforgivable sin, right? When Jesus said attributing the works of the of Christ to the devil is the sin that won't be forgiven or there's there is a point at which people hit and I don't know fully what that is or, or when it is but it does exist when God has when when it's not possible when there's that door is closed I don't and I, again I don't pretend to know the mysteries of uh, things that are not clearly taught in Scripture. All I can go is with what the clear teaching is, and the clear teaching is there is a point. So this is a very serious warning to people who, this, this is not something to mess around with. This is not, I mean, there apparently there were some people who thought, like, it was just, it was embarrassing for me, I guess, to somehow talk about Paul Maxwell in this way. And Paul's the one that's going online on a public Instagram account and announcing to the world that he's not a Christian. I want people to, to think about that. 
it's not I'm not it's not like he personally said something to me and then I went and blasted it everywhere. He's saying this because he wants people to hear it. He wants them to know that he's happy not being a Christian and rejecting Christianity. And the people that might have followed him before, what does that do? What is that how how do they react to that? Um and and here's my my concern. Luke 17:1 through 2 says this. Jesus said to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks will come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him to have a millstone hung around his neck and to be thrown into the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Did Paul Maxwell lead astray young men? I mean, that was his shtick. He wanted to appeal to young men, kind of like Jordan Peterson and Joe Rogan and those guys. That was originally kind of how I found about him. Did he lead some of these people into apostasy? Did he lead them astray? Did he cause them discouragement? Did he uh, inhibit their spiritual life? And Jesus has some words for that, for someone at least who, um, who would put a stumbling block in front of little ones. So there's, there's a very big, serious thing going on here, and I don't make light of it. And I, I have been saddened, I, I will admit, to see some Christians defending the idea that no one should talk about this, that it's a private thing, and that you know Paul Maxwell himself and Abraham Piper are these people that, uh, even though they're building a platform now almost off of, or at least publicly promoting their anti-Christianity, um, they are somehow, uh, you know, beyond the pale. You you are not allowed to talk about it or to bring any kind of discernment to it. Uh, that that concerns me a lot. And I, I'm going to show you one example of this, and maybe it won't surprise some of you. Here's Anthony Bradley, who endorsed Paul Maxwell's book. And Anthony Bradley spent some time with Paul Maxwell, and he said, just spent the weekend with my brother from another mother, Paul Maxwell. I love this guy so much. Paul has given me permission to field any questions anyone may have. Email me. Hours of life-giving conversations, and he's doing very well. That smile is real. He's doing very well? He's rejected the only God who can save him from his sin and an eternity of damnation. If Anthony Bradley truly believes what Scripture teaches, why would he say he's doing very well and reinforce this narrative that it's just so good for Paul Maxwell personally, for his self-care, to reject Christianity. Anthony Bradley's participating in this, guys. And whatever you think about his, his wokeness or his social justice stuff, I mean, Anthony Bradley is a theologian in residence at one of the Redeemer campuses, Tim Keller's church, down in New York City. Um, teaches at the King's College. He's participating in Paul Maxwell's apostasy in a, in a, on a certain level. And this is just very, it's discouraging to see this. And, 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 you know, there's part of me that just thinks, well, yeah, that's, that's kind of the woke church, I guess, for you right there. That's social, I've said this before, social justice Christianity is an off-ramp from the church. And I've seen it time and time again. Who wants to be part of an organization that's supposedly abusive and oppressive and all these other things? No one does. And that's what the social justice warriors in Christianity say about their own religion. They say that it's oppressive and abusive and racist and sexist and homophobic. And But join us. It's like saying, hey, we're part of the clan, but we've changed. <laughs> we're, we're changing. We're reforming it. So join us. 
not very appealing. And when people start to wake up to that, if even though it's not really true, but they start to think that it's true, then of course that's a motivation for leaving the church. You don't think the church is going to help you with abuse uh, and they're and they're abusive themselves. Um, and that's what you're going to Christianity for, especially, uh, you know, why would you want to be part of that? Um, and so this is something that's happening in real time before our eyes. And I'm hoping you're taking note of this. I'm hoping you're seeing that there's an alliance almost here. You look, I mean, someone who is an apostate with someone who is a social justice Christian. And then you have Paul Maxwell. Uh, someone sent this to me. I know he scrubbed a lot of his social media and I wasn't doing a deep dive, but actually a few people sent this to me. And this is um, something Paul Maxwell had posted from July 13th, 2020. Seven years ago, my dad died from an opioid, yeah, I can't pronounce anything today, opioid overdose. That's what really broke my faith in Christianity. No one cared. No one reached out. My church was very judgmental. Not a single pastor or professor said anything. All of a sudden, I was as alone as he was. He was a strong dude, really smart, really funny, really good with people. When my dad walked into a room, everyone knew it. More importantly, I knew it. His approval was everything to me. And in his own way, he gave me that approval. There really is no commentary on his death that doesn't desecrate it. I just miss him. And he gave me so much love, so much wisdom. He gave me everything I need to survive today. I just miss him. That's all there is to say. This is, of course, gut-wrenching, sad. And I don't know the specifics. If, if that was all true, I, I don't know. I mean, take him at his word. Let's say that that's true and no one reached out. You know, did they know? Uh, if they did and they didn't, no one reached out and they knew. I mean, that's, that's terrible. But I, I'm not going to assume that this is the full story. I, I don't know. And so I, you know, I, I want to at least say that this is where his emotional state was. And we can take him at least on that level at his word, that this is where he was at. I don't know that that was, those specifics are accurate or not, but let's say they were, let's say that this was true. If Jesus Christ saved Paul Maxwell from his sin and put him into a right relationship with God, this is still not a reason to reject Christianity. And I know there's some social justice advocates that seem to think that this is possibly, or at least they hint at it. It's not. It, it's, it's simply not. Um, you know, it might be good reason to change churches. It is not a good reason to reject the faith because you're not coming to the faith to get the approval that, to replace the approval that you would get from your dad. You're not coming to the faith to get comfort ultimately um, because of a tragedy like that. So those, yes, the Christianity provides comfort. The God of comfort does comfort. Um, but you don't, that, that's ultimately the reason you come to Christianity because you've sinned against a holy God. And Jesus Christ has made a way through his sacrificial life and his death for you to be made right with that God. And Paul Maxwell is showing here that his reasons were superficial for becoming a Christian or being a Christian, uh, living that life, I should say, um, trying to. And so, this is, it's sad to me to see this, um, for those, and this is from his mouth. So this is, I'm not putting any words there. I'm not speculating. This is what Paul Maxwell has said about him, this situation back, I guess, in July of last year. I didn't know that, but, um, hopefully that gives you 
those who are speculating or wondering, it gives you a little more, it sheds a little light on it to just know that this wasn't out of the blue. This wasn't like he was solidly in Christianity and then one day just decided, I want to be happy so I'm not a Christian, which I think is how it came across to many of us. There was a trajectory here. There was a sliding and there were hints along the way. And the Anthony Bradley, the way he's treating this is just um, horrifying in my opinion. And I think, not just my opinion, um, I think according to the word of God, uh, it, 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 is a, it is a horrible thing that Anthony Bradley has done in helping Paul Maxwell uh, to kind of justify his apostasy on some level. So one last thing I wanted to, to share, because some people have said, you should not name names. And this came up after I had done my video on Paul Maxwell. You, you, you can speak about apostasy in the abstract, but you shouldn't name anyone's name. That's just rude, apparently. And I wanted to show you some things here. We're going to read from script, from Scripture. Galatians 2 says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Then it keeps going about how he wasn't being clear about the gospel. This is Peter, the apostle Peter, Cephas. And this is someone who is a Christian, not even an apostate. Uh, but he was he stood judged. He stood condemned, is what it said, because he was being a hypocrite and not being clear about the gospel because of fear of the um, the Jews and uh, or the Judaizers and the apostle Paul confronts him to his face by name he winds up in a letter uh, that's inspired scripture they have Philippians 4 2 I urge Iodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony naming names first Corinthians 5 it is actually reported that there is immorality among you and then he talks about how bad it is and he says I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan well who who are they talking about well the Corinthians no doubt knew exactly who Paul was talking about 2 Timothy 1.15, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phagellus and Hermogenes. And this is, again, naming names. 2 Timothy 4.10, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. I didn't even include Alexander the coppersmith in here. Uh, Matthew 19, 23, right after the rich young ruler leaves Christ's presence, he turns to his disciples and he says, truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. They knew who he's talking about. So I, I just want to point this out to you that there is a precedent, a very solid precedent. And here you can see the verses if you want to see them. I should have showed them. There's a very solid precedent for naming names. In fact, I think it's necessary. And I have made the point, I made it again last week, that the ministries who are not naming names in the social justice movement or avoiding naming certain names, you need to press them. You need to try to, uh, if you're donating to them, I would rethink whether you want to donate to them. But I would at least ask, why aren't you, you're in the Southern Baptist Convention, why aren't you talking about what Al Mohler's doing and how he's enabling this? And, I, and I'll do some episodes on this a little more later. I've done some, but um, to, I, I want to make this more clear for you. But on the, you know, Danny Aiken, uh, Jarvis Williams, Matt Hall, uh, Walter Strickland, Matt Mullins, you know, just names of professors, um, names of individuals within Southeastern and, and Southern, especially. Uh, and I know there's other institutions that have the same problem. You're in, you know, why aren't you naming these names? If you're in the PCA, same thing. Why aren't you calling out Tim Keller or Duke Kwan or Anthony Bradley um, or just even Christianity in general? Why, why you know, so I'm beating a dead horse because everyone knows, that, you know, I've already said this before, but I, I really want to drive that point home. 
that there is precedent for naming names in Scripture, and sometimes it's necessary. Uh, sometimes you don't have to, but the point of communication is you want the person that you're talking to at least know who you're talking about, even if it's a general category. The Pharisees is a general category, and there's something that applies, some, some bad things that apply to all of them. So Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, and he goes through a list of what characterizes them. The people knew who he was talking about. They were right there. <laughs> so um, I would just encourage more of that. And, uh, and maybe there's times it's not always the best idea. You're trying to lead someone down the garden path to kind of come to those conclusions themselves. Um, but certainly there is no such thing as uh, a rule existing that you should never name names. And I am naming a name. And I think uh, Paul Maxwell and Anthony Bradley need to repent. And I'm nothing personally against either of them. They just need to repent for this because there is no... There is no true lasting happiness, joy found outside of Christ. There's only a temporary happiness and joy, and there is no justification for apostasy. Um, there, there is no reason to make that look good or glamorous or to say someone's doing well when they've rejected the faith. So I just wanted to say that. I hope that was helpful for some of you. Um, Again, on a positive note, I just want to thank you all once again for the, the amazing weekend with Juan Riesco, someone who um, I just, I've really appreciated uh, his bold stand, and uh, we, of course, cataloged that in the documentary, Paint the Wall Black. You can go to YouTube, type it in, it's right there, and um, I appreciate it. Go to the info section, the links are there if you want to support our next documentary, and we'd appreciate that very much, too. God bless. Have a good day. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.